good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I'm glad you're here. It is hot. We're working on that. We're going to have to figure out those air conditioners and what time they need to come on, or either they're broken. We don't know. We'll figure that out this week. But it's good to see you this way this morning. I'm glad you brought your fans and you're ready to go. So it is really good to see you. I'm glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to be going. Matthew chapter 13. And as we get started, I do want to draw your attention to the bulletin inserts. In, those, in the bulletin inserts, you're going to find several different things. We have a sheet that's colored. It has um, your community groups. I want to encourage you, find a place to get involved. Find a place to get into a smaller group. We offer different Bible studies. You see, saw the financial piece. The guy who's leading that, I'm excited about him being a part of this financial piece. We started doing this several years ago. Here's the reason why. We can talk about giving. We can talk about how that we want to be a generous people and how that because God has been generous with us, then we need to in turn be generous. But if you don't know how to get your finances in order, you can talk generosity all you want and you can't actually be generous the way you want to be unless your finances are in order. And the majority of people in America do not know how to handle their finances and they do not understand what debt is and how to get out of debt and even that they shouldn't have to, they need to know how to buy houses, how to buy cars, what type of insurances they need to buy. And so here's what we've done. In order for you to actually be what God has called you to be, you need to get your finances in order according to the way God tells us to get our finances in order. And so that's why we gave you this financial piece. The guy who runs this, Jason, he's, I'm excited about him doing this. He personally, he and his family have gone through this program and in going through this program, several thousands and thousands of dollars worth of debt they've been able to get through and get taken care of. I personally have gone through this with my wife as well. We've worked through this. We did this years and years ago and it began to put us on a different track. And I just want to encourage you, maybe this is where you need to go. Maybe you're considering marriage. This is a place that you want to start. You want to start off your marriage correctly because many times what happens in marriage is this. Fighting over money is the number one problem in marriage. And people have problems with their marriages because they don't know how to handle money and both people are handling money very differently. So I want to encourage you, financial peace. Maybe you're interested in a men's study. Our men, we're starting back up on Wednesday nights. Also, we have the ladies' study. You're gonna be starting on Wednesday morning at nine o'clock and then Wednesday evening as well. We have Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday nights. We've also started a new class, it's a marriage 101. It goes through the basics of marriage and making sure that your marriage is maybe in the right place and how to order your marriage correctly. We want to make sure we're very practical so that you can actually take and begin living out the word of God. And so we want to help you. So maybe one of those classes would look at it, sign up, go to the back, drop off that card. Maybe some of you are saying, I need to get into a home group. You're ready to start serving and, and, and you want to know some other people and you want to study the Bible in the evenings. Circle one of those areas, Grand Prairie, Mansfield, Midlothian, Duncanville, Arlington, wherever you're interested, drop that card off in the back. We'll make sure that you get contact and we'll get you in place. Maybe it's a Sunday school place. Get into a smaller group a community group where you begin to commune with other believers and you begin to interact life on life. And I want to encourage you, make sure you do that. Also in the bulletin, you're gonna find the ministry sheets. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. If you're looking for a place to serve, maybe God's gonna put it on your heart right now. You look through all those lists. Those are current ministry opportunities. You can use your talents and your gifts right now. And then also in the bulletin, you're gonna open it up. You'll find a place for the notes. And I want to encourage you, you might wanna take notes today. I'm gonna to walk through in just a moment and you can fill in the blanks and I'll make sure you have the blanks filled in because that drives me nuts when speakers speak and they don't fill in blanks. So you're gonna have the blanks filled in in just a moment and we'll make sure that it happens for you, all right? Let me start off with a good question. Will good always win? Will good always win? 
Not necessarily, right? You've, you've had experiences in your own personal life where good has not always won. Now, as far as movies or stories or novels or plays, we want the good to always win, don't we? We want to see the, the victor win. We want the Cinderella story in the sports teams. We want the Cinderella story in life where good ultimately prevails. We want that Cinderella story. Maybe it's that um, we, we look for that John McClane who at the end of the day is going to save the day in Die Hard. Or maybe it's Jack Bauer in 24 who's gonna save in one single day, he's gonna save America from destruction, right? Or it could be that story of, of um, Zorro rearing up his trusty stallion tornado, carving the Z into the wood and we're going, yes, Good wins. Or maybe it's the Lone Ranger as he goes riding through trying to catch up to a speeding train on his stallion, Silver. And we're going, yes, good will always win. Maybe it's in the stories and the literatures that we like to read, the old classics, To Kill a Mockingbird. We like the stories of evil versus good and how does it play out? We want to see even in the way we live our lives. We want good to win. We expect good to win. We see in our day's symbols such as the yin and the yang playing out this evil and good mixture. And the question becomes, can it, will it, will good ultimately win? And if it doesn't win, then why, what's the point of me being good? And then here's another question. If God's good, if he really exists, then why is there evil in the world? Why do we have evil people like over in Syria that start wiping out thousands of people? Why do we have tornadoes and hurricanes? Why do we have all these major catastrophes? If God's really good, then why is there still evil in the world? And some will even say that that proves that God's not real because there's evil in the world. So here's what we're gonna do today. We're in a story, we're, we're, we're in a parables. We're talking about the parables, Matthew chapter 13. We've titled this The Storyteller because Jesus is using stories. He's using parables to give us a glimpse into future, a glimpse of heaven's realities, of spiritual realities. And what he does is he takes common, normal, average things that we understand or that his people would understand and he rates, relates the normal things to what, is spiritually unknown. And so that way, as a good teacher, he brings the unknown to the known so that you can catch a glimpse of what he's really trying to teach. So Matthew chapter 13, you have your Bibles. Today, what we're gonna look at, we're gonna look at three parables. And in those three parables, they relate to us the kingdom of heaven, and they talk to us about what is good and evil, and they play this concept out for us. So if you have your Bibles, even if you don't, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 13. Go all the way down to verse 24, and that's where we're at today. And here's what the book says. He put another parable before them, saying, this is Jesus now speaking, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master's house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? 
And he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for your blessings. God, I thank you for the the opportunity to gather with other believers, to celebrate Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. I pray that as we sing, that God, it was an overflow of our hearts and our worships that, that we were truly prepared and ready to even enter this place because our worship all week long has been a sweet sound. So Father, I pray that as we sing together corporately, God, it was just an overwhelming, sweet, sweet sound to you. God, I do pray now as we enter this time, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have its freedom to move and to work. God, there are Christians in here who need to be encouraged. God, there are those who need to be brought to you today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would do his work. I pray that he would have freedom. God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear so that, Father, when we hear that, God, we have the courage to apply it to our lives so that, God, we walk away a different people. In Jesus' precious, precious name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right, let me begin by giving you the point, and then we'll start working through the passage. The first blank that you have is God's kingdom grows alongside of evil. God's kingdom grows alongside of evil. God's kingdom grows alongside of evil. Now, here's what's very interesting. We know the story. We've heard the story. We just read it. It makes sense. Jesus is teaching. He's been out in a, an agricultural area out in the country. And as he's been out in the country, he looks across. There's a field. And as he sees the field, he relates the story. And he says, okay, you saw the guy go out. You saw the guy take his seed. And the ground was worked. And he begins to toss the seed back and forth. And as he tosses a seed, it's good, it looks great. He's preparing for a great harvest. He's a good man. He planted good seed. He's expecting a great harvest. But when the seeds come up and you begin to see the fruit revealed, we find not only wheat, but we also find weeds. So the question begins to be, okay, if we're listening to a story and Jesus is trying to relate the common to the supernatural or to the spiritual, what is Jesus talking about? And how do we find out what Jesus is talking about? And remember this, what we talked about last week. The way you actually begin to interpret the Bible is how? You want to go back to the passage. You want to go back throughout the Bible and allow the Bible to interpret itself, right? So we want the Bible to tell us what he's saying. And good thing, it, Jesus actually tells us. So let me begin to lay out what this field is, who the sower is, what the seeds represent. And let's look at this so we can begin to understand it. Go all the way down to verse 37, and Jesus begins to explain what he's talking about. The disciples have asked Jesus, hey, we don't get it, we don't understand. So Jesus says in verse 37, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Now, who is the son of man? Say it out loud. Jesus, very good. Jesus' favorite term for himself is the son of man. It's an Old Testament wording and demonstrating that he is the Messiah. He is the one who was from heaven, who came to the earth, and he was born as a son of man. So Jesus is referring to himself. So the sower who goes out into the field is Jesus. Now let's define some more terms here. The field is what? What does it say? The field is 
the world. Okay, so we can be very clear. The field in which we're talking about is us living here, us going out in place of where we daily do our routine. The field is the world. And it says the good seed is what? The sons of the kingdom. So let's define that, the sons of the kingdom. The sons of the kingdom would be those who previously have trusted Jesus as their personal savior. Remember, Jesus said, who is my family? Just a a couple weeks ago, who is my family? Anybody who follows God's commands, who loves God, who loves me, who follows me, is my family. So Jesus says, the sons of the kingdom, those who have entered the family are the ones who are reborn or born again into the family of God. That means they have been saved and they trusted Jesus as their personal savior. Are we good? Okay, So we have now a group of people who have been saved. Now let's continue. What's he say? And he says, the weeds are the sons of, help me, the evil one. Who's the evil one? Just in case you think we're making things up, this is a live person, a live spiritual being. And it says the enemy who sowed them is who? Do you see the word? It's the devil. So we want to make sure we're very clear. We're not talking about a devil who has a a pitchfork, who's red, who has a long tail, who looks like what we would dress up as Halloween, okay? This is actually a spiritual being who is the devil, who is the evil one. And here's what he has done. He has set up two different groups of people. You're either without God, an unbeliever, who is actually part of the devil's family. Did you catch that? Son of the devil, son of the wicked one, or you're over here and you're part of the kingdom, you're part of the sons of God, saved, trusted. We live in a day and age in which there's a lot of conversation regarding different types of people, don't we? There's almost tension everywhere you look, from movies to the news to even around the world. This group, this nation fighting against this nation, this culture fighting against this culture, this color of skin fighting against that color of skin, men fighting against women, women hating men. And we all begin to fight back and forth. And here's what's very clear for us. You ready? We are all human. And because we're all human, there's only two types of people. Two groups in which they fall. Either you have trusted Jesus Christ and you're a son of the righteous in his kingdom, do you see this? Or you're over here and you're in the world and now you are the son of the evil one. Did you see that? This is very important because we cannot and we should not ever, as believers, we should not ever lose the distinction. You're either with God or you're without God. And we should not ever have problems with racial slurs or racial envy or racial injustice because of somebody else's skin or nationality. Does that make sense? They're either with God or they're without God. And here's where we begin to play it out. The emphasis right now in this first part of this is that God's kingdom, the sons of righteous are to grow alongside of the sons of the wicked one. Now, here's where it gets hard. When you get saved, it would be nice if God would make everything nice and easy, wouldn't it? It would be really nice if God just paved the road with gold for you and man, everything just began to be blessed and everything would be going great. It'd be really nice if all those people who hate God, who make your life miserable at work or at school, it'd be really nice if God would just kind of, boom, get rid of them, wouldn't it? 
let's, let's be honest, it, it's hard. The last few weeks, I got the privilege of spending um, the last month with our teenagers. And I'm so proud of our teenagers, where they're going and what's going on in their lives. And, and the last few months, I've got to be the, just come in and teach and talk. And we started talking about all kinds of stuff. And this past Wednesday, we had the conversation. And the conversation went like this. What are the pressures that you're dealing with? What, what are the pressures that you're feeling pressured into? And it was interesting, my heart began to break because they're dealing with real life pressures. First week of school, and in the first week of school, you had kids who were saying, hey, not only have I been offered drugs this first week of school, but I've been offered even to be a seller and I'd get $500 a week to be a seller. And that's here in school. You start talking about the pressures of, of, of sex. You start talking about all these pressures that are going on, pushed on. And here's our tendency, you ready? Here's the tendency we, we want to come and just like the servant and the servants said to the master, hey, master, do you want us to go rip out all the, all the evil ones? Do you want us to go rip out all the weeds? Our tendency is to back off and withdraw and say, we can't be around those ungodly people because they make our lives miserable. And, and the master says, no, I'm not calling you to remove you. I didn't save you and immediately take you to heaven. I didn't save you to make it easy for you. Did you see this? I've called you, I've saved you, and I expect you to grow alongside of the problem makers. I've called you and I've saved you to live among the unbelievers and not withdraw. Because God's kingdom grows with both evil and good present. And here's the challenge for us. The challenge is our faith is actually tested by the daily grind of being next to unbelievers. We would rather it be easy. We would rather it be like here at church because it's easy to talk about church, isn't it? We would rather God just remove us from all the weeds and all the unbelievers. It would be so much easier. And he says, no, that's not the plan. The plan is you're to grow alongside now, this is interesting. Now, watch as he begins to teach. He continues to teach. Now, we've just started with the first one. I'm gonna finish off the explanation with the point number four. But let's go back to the, let's go to the second parable. So it begins to play out this evil good connection here. Go to verse 31. Verse 31, Jesus begins to tell a new story. And as he tells the new story, here's what he says. He throws another story to him. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed and it's filled. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. Here's your blank. God's kingdom provides support for good in the world. God's kingdom provides support for good in the world. Jesus begins to teach. And he says, okay, you've seen the mustard seed. And some have wanted to try to demonstrate that Jesus doesn't quite know seeds or that Jesus is not scientifically accurate, so the Bible's not ac accurate because this little seed is not the smallest seed. If you've ever done any research on what is the smallest seed, you'd find that it's not the mustard seed. Now, let's be real honest. If Jesus created the world, don't you think he knows what's the smallest seed? That makes sense, right? So he's obviously trying to tell a story and the comparison is between how small and how large it grows. That's the comparison. Does that make sense? 
The comparison is small to large, and that's what he's trying to lay out for us. Now, if you have ever seen a garden or planted a garden, and I've heard several parents who were really excited because last week I talked about gardens and their kids are saying they need to plant a garden. So I'm happy I helped you. Gardens. We have a garden, um, our garden, the corn didn't do as well as I expected, but it still got up to about five feet. Our, our okra, it got up to maybe about three and a half feet tall. It's pretty tall. Our cucumbers, we got some big cucumbers out of it. We got a, a little baby cantaloupe. It was really cute. It was a lot of fun. Our watermelon's just about like that big, so maybe I didn't do that one quite right. But we have, we have all these little plants. Now, the mustard seed, did you see the picture up there? You see that in the palm of the hand? It's, it's pretty small, isn't it? It is still one of the smallest seeds. And here's the difference between a mustard seed. When it grows, it doesn't grow to be one of these small little plants. Even your tomato plant will grow pretty good size and it'll have tomatoes all over. But when a mustard seed grows, it can actually become more than a bush. It actually can be more like a tree of eight to 15 feet tall. Do you see the difference? So when Jesus said a small seed is bigger than anything that grows in the garden, what he's trying to do is expand your thinking, and everyone in that area would know that a mustard seed would produce more of a large tree of eight to 10 to 15 feet tall. So what Jesus is beginning to do is he says, I want to show you something. When it gets that big, not only does it provide mustard seeds, not does it only provide something that you like to eat on hot dogs, but it provides shelter. It provides shade it provides protection for the birds and it begins to bless in numerous other ways other than just what it's designed to be. Here's the tension now. You see, Jesus is talking to a group of disciples and as he's looking out across the crowd and the disciples are looking and they're saying, Jesus, it almost seems like we're getting outnumbered. The tension is welling up and there's now plots to kill Jesus and there's animosity building. And as there's tension building within, they're looking around and saying, Jesus, it almost looks like, you know, we're not really going to be able to be effective. It doesn't look like we're going to be able to do much. And what Jesus is trying to help them understand, the evil looks bad. And what you're seeing right now is just a small, insignificant group of people. You see 12 men who are fully sold out. You see a handful of ladies who are sold out. And it looks overwhelming. And you look here in the Dallas area. You combine all the churches on any given Sunday. We still do not add up to 1 million people in church. There are over 1 million unbelievers in the South Dallas area. And you begin to look at the influence and you begin to go into your schools and you begin to say, look how insignificant this is. It's hard, isn't it, teenagers? It's hard. And you begin to look around and you say, we look insignificant. And here's what Jesus is saying, watch. He said, don't get discouraged. Don't hang up the hat and don't think it's too hard because here's what's gonna happen. From this group of men who are standing here, from this group of ladies who are standing here, it seems insignificant, but it's gonna begin to grow. And my kingdom is gonna begin to expand. And in 300 years, it's gonna go all across the Roman Empire. And in 300 years, here's what's gonna happen. You ready? Constantine's gonna say, for political reasons alone, I need to make sure that I support Christianity. And so he makes Christianity a, a national religion. Then it begins to grow and it begins to expand. And you look across, how many of you have ever gone to a hospital that has any kind of religious wording in the title? Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist. Here's why. 
Because as believers began to grow and as believers began to move and the kingdom of God began to do a work in people's lives, here's what they said. All people, all people, we should help. And when they're hurting, when they're in need, Christians had at the deep sense of their core values because of we believe that all human life matters, that when we saw someone in need, we believe that it was our duty to go out and reach and touch and help the afflicted. Here, watch. As Christians, as we go out, it begins to create this umbrella for protection and for good in our cities, in our nations, in your work, in your schools, all across this nation. And it begins to be a place in which we do good for the city where the city says, thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for being involved in our schools. Thank you for doing all that you're doing. And it's because we as Christians know that it matters that we're out serving and helping people. Isn't that awesome? But it looks insignificant. It's just a mustard seed. What can we do? Not much. So then Jesus helps us one more time. And he says, okay, let me give you another story just to make sure you get it. And here's one of my favorite things about Jesus. Watch what he does. He's been talking to men and now he's gonna turn and he's gonna give an illustration to ladies. And I am so thankful. Here's why. Because Jesus in a day and age in which ladies were looked down upon when ladies didn't even have a voice, Jesus brought them in into his ministry, into his circle and they traveled with him and they ministered with him. Jesus elevated ladies to a new position in society. And here's what he does. He brings ladies into the conversation. And so now he gives the ladies an illustration. He says, ladies, don't think that you're not part of this. You are a part of this conversation, so pay attention. So he now gives them an illustration. Watch what he says. He says, okay, I have one more parable. Verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid three measures of flour till it was all leavened out. Ha ha, this is good. Okay, I love hot rolls, hot bread. You know, you just put the butter on there and the bread's been baking and you just smell it. It makes you want to go to Spring Creek right now, doesn't it? You're just like, forget this, man, I'm done. It's hot here. Let's go over there, get some sweet tea and hot bread. Aha, bring it on. But the bread just smells so good and it's cooking and, and it's fresh. Now, here's what I learned. I was thinking in my mind that the, the leaven was really the yeast and that you're, you're kneading and you're pounding the bread into it. But here's what I found that it's actually a way in which they make the bread by taking some of last week's old bread and they bring it into this week's bread. So what they would do is they have this dough that they've been making and working. And so they would take a part and they would set it aside. And then next week when they started making their bread, they would take that, bread, that dough and they would put it back into the mix. And now that yeast would be continue to grow and build out the dough. And when, before they bake it, they would cut off a piece of the dough and they would save it for the next week. And it would continue on. How many of you have ever heard of that? Yes? Perfect. You're all chefs, right? Okay, I didn't know this. So I had to do a little research and I found out there were some, some, some pizza places and dough places up in Denver, Colorado that actually had their bread from all the way back when the settlers were coming in. So I said, hot dog, we need to go eat there. So I'm excited next time I go to Denver, gotta have this bread, right? So the bread has continued to pass on. Now here's what he's saying. The kingdom of heaven, this is your blank, the kingdom of heaven grows from the inside out. It grows from the inside out. It influences, it continues to move. So he takes a common illustration. He says, okay, ladies, you're working the bread 
You don't have a voice. Nobody's really even listening to you. They don't even let you speak in the marketplace, ladies. But here's, here, here it is. Every day, you're taking bread and you're moving and you're working it. And here's what Jesus wants you to hear. What you think is insignificant, what you think is not very important at all, what you think is mundane, the normal day in and day out routines, where you just live the Christian life, it has more influence than you could ever imagine. Wearing a bracelet that says prayer works begins to have conversations. You living your life in such a way where you talk positive about your husband or you talk positive about your spouse, where when your life has fallen apart, instead of griping and complaining, people ask you, how are you doing? You say, you know what? It's tough right now, but man, I'm blessed. God is moving and working. And they're going, how do you smile when everything's falling apart? Those small and insignificant things. Most of the time, here's how we live. We think, we think that we don't really make a difference. We don't really influence for God's kingdom unless we're Billy Graham. We don't think we really unless we're Moses or Peter or Paul. Remember this summer at, at teen camp? The guy gives an illustration at student camp and he's talking about how that you don't have to be, jump up in, in, the, in, the, in the lunchroom onto the table and say, I'm people, my people listen up. I'm Moses and God has called me to deliver you. You don't have to step up there and, and call them out and say, hey, I'm gonna lead you to, you wanna know if God's called me? Come to the water fountain and see the water's part. You don't have to have some significant thing. You just have to be willing to do the mundane, normal things. And you say, God, I'm doing this for your glory. Because it influences from the inside out. And so many times we get frustrated because we see we're outnumbered. We see that we don't have much to give. And so we back off and we don't do much at all. And Jesus gives an encouraging word, it matters. Some of you just need to hear that, it matters. What you're doing when it seems so small, it matters and it influences. Now Jesus makes one last turn. The disciples are standing around, they've interacted with Jesus, now the crowds begin to leave. And what's interesting is verse 34 Matthew draws attention to the crowds and how the crowds were all around and Jesus is speaking in parables. And then you see in verse 36, the crowds leave and Jesus goes back into the house. So if you remember a few verses earlier, Jesus was in the house speaking and the question was asked, who's my family? Who's my brothers? And he said, anybody who's followed God. So he's in a house, then he goes out and he starts teaching and now he's coming back to the house. The house is more than likely, it's, it's in Capernaum. We know that it's in Capernaum. It's more than likely Peter's house. So he comes back into Peter's house. And as they're just there, the crowds are gone. The disciples come back and say, hey, Jesus, we get the mustard seed. That makes sense. We, we, we really wanna be that force for good that helps people. We wanna we, we want do that. We wanna serve Hey, Jesus, we, we get the, the influence from the inside out, the, the, the leaven. That makes sense, Jesus, we get it. But could you go back and explain the wheat? That whole thing seemed a little weird, especially when you started talking about a harvest. It seemed like there was a little bit more to it than that. Now here's your question. Will good ultimately win? Can God actually get rid of all evil? Can he? Is he powerful enough to get rid of all evil? 
watch what happens. He begins to play out, and we've already talked about who the evil one was in verse 39. Now, Jesus begins to speak to the future. And he says this, the harvest is at the close of the age. When Jesus came the first time, he came as the Messiah to die on the cross to pay for your sins and mine. Jesus is now not here on earth, but he's left us here with his Holy Spirit leading and guiding so that we can serve and be the physical hands and feet and voice to the world. Jesus is currently sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven. There will come a day at the end of the age when Jesus comes back. This is future. And when he comes back, this time he's coming back. And here's what's going to happen. You ready? It says, the harvest is at the close of the age and the reapers are the angels. Wouldn't this be a scary movie? The angels actually coming now to the fields, to the earth as reapers. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the close of the age. The Son of Man, Jesus, is going to send his angels into the world and they are going to gather all of those who are of, not saved, of the sons of Jesus, the sons of the righteous. But he's going to come and he's going to send his angels into the world. Listen, to all of those who have rejected God, who said, I don't want God, I don't need God, all those who do not believe, do you see it? I'm not making it up. It's just here. We have to talk about it. And here's what he says. They're going to re- gather them out of all the kingdoms, the lawbreakers of sin, and, and verse 32, and he's going to throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then verse 43, he says, and then the righteous will shine like the sun. Here's your last blank. You ready? The last blank is this. God's kingdom will eventually stop evil. Mark it down. Well, Heath, wait a minute. I don't really think that God exists because there's evil in the world. I hear you. God has been patient and he's going to continue to be patient. So let me ask you, why does God allow the good and the bad to stay in this world? Why does God allow the serious? Why does God allow the evil to actually manifest itself where people die and people are hurting? Why does he do that? Any reasons do you, you know? Let me help you. You ready? Because God gives a choice, a real choice. And if you give a real choice, then you have to allow for the alternative choice. Does that make sense? If you give a real choice, there has to be a alternative choice. So if you're going to allow someone to choose to love you, you also have to choose to allow them to hate you. And God will not force you to love him. He's, he created you. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. He pays your sins willingly, but he will not force you to love him and he will not force you to go to church. He will not force you to follow him. You see, here's the reality. When I go to bed at night, I want my wife to willingly love me. I want her to be excited about the guy who's laying next to her. When I go to bed, I want to be excited that she's my wife. And I want it to be willingly. When I wake up in the morning, I'm going, oh yeah, that's the one. She's still here. Yes. 
I'm not going to force it on her because if I force it on her, then it's not love. And God has so loved you that he sent his son for you to die on the cross. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You hear it? So as long as God allows for a choice so that you can either freely choose to love him, he also has to allow for you to freely hate him, to freely reject him, to say, God, I don't need you. He has to allow for the good and also the bad at the same time. Does that make sense? But there will come a day when the day is done, when Jesus comes back, when he says, that's enough. There's no more choice. There's no more opportunities. There's no more good or evil. All the evil will be removed from the earth. All pain, suffering, tears, evil, everything is gonna be gone and cast out and Jesus will restore the earth and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and we sing praises about our heaven song. Will we get to be forever with him? And there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more heartaches, what a great place, isn't it? He will, he will stop it. And he has the power to, but until he stops it, he's allowing his grace to be demonstrated by the way you live. And I live as believers among those unbelievers so that hopefully it draws him to him through his grace. Be encouraged, my dear friend, my dear believer, Don't be discouraged because it looks like it's not worth it. It's worth it. My dear friend, if you have not trusted Jesus as your personal savior, today's the day. Today's the day to trust him. He offers it to you. Today's the day to come to say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And he will give you salvation. What a joy. 